Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. The writing. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm hearing, you know, people going one of two ways. Either they've gotten a whole lot done or they feel like their brain is jello and they just can't focus on things. And I get that too in the middle of what's going on. There's a lot to process with what's going on today with the quarantine and the pandemic. It's so it does take up a lot of brain space. That's for sure. I understand it. Yeah. We need to shut that off so we can get back to good things like writing the next book. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit about how you got into writing historical fiction. Did did you actually pick it or did did it pick you? Well, um, it sort of picked me. I was after a topic for a novel. Uh, I was casting around, thinking, trying to think of ideas. And around that time, I became a volunteer at the Fire Island Lighthouse. So I volunteered to do historical, uh, uh, historical tours. And in the research of the lighthouse and the shipwrecks that were involved and all of the history, the lighthouse is so rich in history, that I found a story that, where I really think that this person found me. Um, there, was a, there were many, many wrecks off the south shore of Long Island in the early 1800s. Uh, even, and I was studying them and reading different ones, and I came across this one wreck, which was the wreck of the Elizabeth in 1850. And on that wreck was a very famous American writer named Margaret Fuller, who was originally from Boston. She had been in Italy, and she was on her way home. And I am an English major, and I studied Margaret Fuller many years ago, and when I saw that she was on my beach, my beach, where I go to the beach, I was gobsmacked. It was like somebody said, you know, Elvis is at the 7-Eleven down the block. I just couldn't get over it. So I became immersed in the story of the wreck, of the Long Island history that's involved, and of her biography, which is fascinating. She was a woman who changed the course of so many ideas in this country and unfortunately has become overlooked lately. So that ended up being the impetus to do a historical fiction. I didn't start out looking for historical fiction, but this story found me and grabbed me. And I'm telling you, it was like crack cocaine. I could not get enough of this story. I read everything. And I'm telling you, it took me five years of research. So I really became immersed in her life, the time period. Why was she in Europe? What was she doing there? Why was she there for so long? There's another whole realm of uh, history that had to be uh, studied. That was the 1848 uh, revolutions at that time. She got involved in those. So 
the, the genre really did find me. But I have to say that I loved every minute of it. And I, even though the research was very uh, encompassing, I'm very happy to have been able to explore it and to present it to readers. That's fabulous. So it really did pick you. You were thinking about a novel. Is that, is that novel something maybe in the future, or are we going to do another historical fiction? Well, I'm working on another historical fiction. <laughs> I've gotten bitten by the bug. I see. I, I like the fictionalized aspect of it because I, as a writer, you have to create the scenes, you have to create the dialogue, you have to create the uh, motives, uh, the psychology behind the motives. It's, it's very, very creative. You are, the writer is um, constricted, though, by the facts of the story. So, if, for example, if you want to write historical fiction and you want to write about Lincoln, you can't make him short and fat. He's got to be Lincoln. You know, you can't change certain things. So there are certain aspects to the history that you have to stay with and present, but there's still so much room for creativity in the presentation of it. I love the way you phrased that, and I'm picturing um, a writer who might feel as if um, fiction is almost too broad, like, oh gosh, I have too many decisions to make. I would rather start with an established character or an established time period or even event. Is that kind of the way somebody would come to historical fiction? Yes, definitely. There's, it's a double-edged sword, though, because it does resolve all of those uh, issues that you just brought up, Stephanie, but it also constricts you. Right. There's no flights of fancy. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> have to stay with the, with the exact uh, facts of it, and the more exact your facts are, the more valuable your contribution is. So that's how I feel about Shipwreck of Hopes, because every person, it was an actual person historically. I, I've studied who they were. I found uh, their ancestry. You know, you can find out so much research. Um, you can create the personalities of the people by learning what they did, who they were, how they interacted. So there's a lot of constrictions. You know, you can't have something happen that didn't actually happen. However, the creativity is in the motives and the psychology behind the actions of the people. And so you've got a wild um, array of creating in that realm, but you also are restricted by the facts. So it is completely a double-edged sword. I think the answer is, what kind of writer are you? You know, are you a writer who, uh, who wants to present a character who's fully fleshed out psychologically and by motives. I am. So that, that's the kind of thing that turns me on anyway. Now, I would guess that some of the characters in the book and in history, um, you might have found out just a tidbit and then you would do, like you were describing, fleshing out their personality, their motives. I'm presuming that as you were doing your research, you might see a name and not really know much more about that person. Is that true? Yes, you could do that. You can't, for, and now that's a perfect lead-in for me to say something about Shipwreck of Hopes. I needed a character who was going to tie all the pieces together because I had the Margaret Fuller story and she was in Europe. 
and I traveled with the reader travels with her on the ship across the sea to the shore. Then I have all of the characters on the shore who are living their lives on this barrier island at the lighthouse, and I had to find a connection. The ship hits the shore, but then there has to be a character motivation and action that connects. So with that, there's one character who is the, I have two female uh, point of view characters. One is Margaret Fuller, and the other one is a local uh, Fire Island resident. Hannah Oakes was an actual person. She was married to Smith Oakes, who was an actual person. I found out a lot about him. He was in the newspapers a lot. He was really a character, um, uh, not so nice most of the time, and, and that bears itself out in the research. However, Hannah Oakes, I saw on the census several times. I know it was his wife, but I never found a written word about her, nothing. So I said, there's my opportunity to completely invent Hannah Oakes. She was an actual person, but her background, her psychology, her motive for action is all invented by me. Wow. So therefore she's actual, but her interior life was invented and it was invented so that I could pull together these disparate pieces of this history. She's the connecting character. So you, you have that kind of leeway when you're writing historical fiction. What, what you're saying is, is, is definitely what somebody out there needed to hear right now, which is that when you're researching for historical fiction, if you find a character that there is no information around, right. it gives you that open door. That exactly. you do have those constraints. You were talking about, you know, you do have to stick within... Lincoln was tall. There was anything <laughs> to do, but it almost sounds like you went hunting and 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 struck gold by hitting someone who you had the opportunity as the writer to flesh out. If unfortunately, if if you if you choose a subject that everyone is there, I mean Margaret Fuller is who she is. There's right. so much leeway, but this Hannah Oakes character, it kind of gave you an open door as a writer. That sounds very exciting. Exactly. It was very exciting because when I figured it out, because I kind of figured it out in medias rest, as they say, mm -hmm. because I had, to me, I had two separate stories. I had two separate things going on, the revolution in Europe and the South Shore of Long Island. So that's true. And that's correct. And that's why even though you may have researched for five years and have mountains of information. As you're writing, you're still going to continue to need to look for pieces of things that you, you didn't even know you had to look for while, while you were in the research mode. So the research mode is not a separate thing necessarily. Right, it continues on. It does continue on. Can you give me a little insight into that research mode? Uh, hoping that some of our viewers and listeners are people who are saying, gosh, there's this time period or there's this character. I would love to, to delve into how do I start? Well, you know what? This computer age is unbelievable because there is so much material that's primary material that you can get your hands on. So there's two parts to this answer. One is beware of secondary material. There's a lot of history that's written by historians that are not necessarily accurate. And what happens is in this age of rumor, 
somebody writes something and then somebody else picks it up and continues the rumor and they're not correct. Mm. So you, 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 we, the writers, have to be very persnickety about our sources. We have to try to find primary sources. And in this case, there's so much primary material that's scanned and available right in your screen at home. So you don't have to go to research libraries necessarily, again, depending on the period you're looking for, but they have scanned like all the newspapers, scan them. So when you're looking at the newspaper, you're not reading somebody else's version of it. You're reading the actual newspaper report. They have scanned books, old books from the 17, 1800s that are available online. So try to stick to original sources as much as possible. And then as you become expert at that, you yourself will be able to render which uh, historians are accurate and which ones kind of rest on rumor. Now, that's one part of the research. The other point that I want to make that's super important is the writer must immerse themselves into the time period, not just the event and not just the person. So besides knowing what their clothing was made out of and how they ate, which is all really important, the writer has to know the world in which those characters walked. They have to know the politics of the time period. What was the uh, uh, prevailing religious uh, belief and theories at the time period? What were the social uh, mores and aspects of the period? It's necessary, even if you don't use those individual facts in your story, that's the world in which your people lived. So their decision-making was based on their world, just like our decision-making is based on our world, it's not different. So you really need to spend the time doing a lot of reading on things that you might think are superfluous, but they're not, because you've got to get the whole feeling, the whole vibe of the time period. The, the language of the time period, read literature that was written in the time period so that you know what it sounded like when they talked. They didn't sound like us. Somebody just sent me a poem that's going around online and it was about um, quarantines. And the person who sent it to me said it was written in the 1800s. And I looked at it and I said, this is written in the 1800s. This is our diction. This is the way we talk. This is not old. So you have to get the vibe of the language into your mind too. Um, immerse yourself in the time period. That's all, it's the most important thing so that your, your characters act in an authentic way to the time period. I think that that is such fabulous advice. And whether or not a person is writing historical fiction, or even if they were writing pure fiction, coming right out of their head, if something is set in the 1930s, even if you have concocted all of the uh, plots and characters and everything, you still need to be true to the 1930s. You know, exactly. your, your advice about that is so important. Yeah. What was the mindset of the time? And, you know, in reading all these, I'm reading all these shipwreck stories and all, um, the prevailing thought in the early 1800s was of providence. Why did these things happen? Why did these children die in the shipwreck? Why did your baby, who, who was four years old, who had a fever and died from a fever, um, why? 
they answered it with one word, providence. It was God's will. So that's a mindset that we don't have anymore. We have all this science and we have all these whys and before, you know, becauses. So the, part, the point is that your character doesn't have to say that, but your character knows it. And, and everyone around him thinks it, even if your character doesn't think it, it's the world in which they live. That's why it's important to feel the vibe of the time period and take the time to do it. And that's how someone like you could read a book or, or an essay that is perfectly from another time period and know if it's inauthentic. Right, exactly. So in my in Shipwreck of Hopes, um, I, a lot, some of the description is more, written more like it was written in the early 1800s. There's a reversal of um, adjective and, uh, and noun sometimes. I tried to replicate a little bit what the um, writing was like at the time period. Um, and it's meant to slow the reader down because we read fast. We read so much. We're reading, reading, reading. Everything fast. I know, but they didn't. Reading was a thing that was an actual entertainment. And the deliciousness of the language was really important to them. Um, it was like, you know, saving the black side of a black and white cookie for the end because it's so delicious, you know. You want that treat. And uh, that was what language was to them. It was very important. So there's so many aspects to writing historical fiction, and it's very rich. It's a very rich experience for the writer as well as for the reader. How would you recommend a person getting into, I mean, all of this mindset, even understanding how a person of a different era treated the written word and things like that. How do you get into that mindset of people in a different era? Aside from, we, we talked a little bit about the actual research about events and people, but mindset is so important and the way you're describing it, it's vital. How would you well, have, get into that? You kind of absorb some of it through osmosis. If you read things that were written in the time period, what I'm talking about, about the language, you witness it, you're reading it. It gets into your head. The voice gets into your head. So even reading the newspapers from this, the um, events of this shipwreck that was reported all over the place, look, this, look at the sentence structure in the newspaper. Look mm -hmm. at how they wrote. Um, it's much more dense and the language is uh, used in a very rich way. So if just in the re as the researcher reads those newspaper reports or reads the books that were written at the time, you do absorb it into your mind. That's why immersion, immersion, immersion. You have to read a lot of it and then you get the cadence of it. Right, absolutely. So you don't have to study it as a separate topic. Okay. Just read the time period. Read what was written in the time period by the people who wrote during the time period. So what are some of the, your favorite writers of historical fiction, whether in this era or other? Oh, well, I have to say hats off to Hilary Mantel. I just love the, you know, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies. And now the third part of the trilogy just came out. She was a genius at creating atmosphere. So she's got Henry VIII's court and Thomas Cromwell. And she manages to have the reader feel like a, an eavesdropper, 
like you're listening in on the conversations you're but and you're looking through a hazy lens of time you know it's not it and it's what but that's what we're doing as historians you're looking through a hazy lens and she manages to create that as an atmosphere and i just loved it she was fabulous and brilliant yeah oh, she's boy. terrific and another one that i just admire so much was um, margaret atwood's oh yes. um her uh alias grace which came out a long time ago but it's really worth a read she takes a very famous uh, murder case of the 1830s where a young woman was accused of multiple murders, very unusual in a lot of ways. So um, she takes that historical event, which was publicized widely because people like to hear about horrible things. <laughs> and um, she makes the point of view character, a fictional character, a Dr. Jordan, who uh, is a psychologist, and when psychology was new. So you're in the dark, again, you're witnessing the conversations and you can't figure out, is this woman who the name was Grace Marks, is she crazy, is she really insane, or is she just a good faker? Or is she just manipulating everyone? Or did she actually do it or is she innocent? You're not sure. And so Margaret Atwood creates this questioning throughout and it's just brilliantly done. Wow, good recommendations. Mm. Now, if you're going to write something that wasn't historical fiction, I mean, you started this whole process thinking you were going to write a novel. I know. <laughs> but now you're writing another historical fiction. What's the I name? Am, well, actually, the next one is that I'm working on now is I'm picking up this, this shipwreck of the Elizabeth was followed for months in papers all over the country because Margaret Fuller was on the ship and she was beloved. And there were a lot of aspects to uh, the tragedy of the shipwreck that I won't go into now. But mm -hmm. don't um, give it away. <laughs> no. So therefore, again, misery loves company. Newspapers all over the country followed it for months and months and months and months and months. Where normally a shipwreck got three lines on page three, you know, because there were so many of them. How, so therefore, there's a lot of after story to this wreck as well. And so I'm picking up right from Shipwreck of Hopes and I'm following with the after story, which is also fascinating and leads to another incredible historical uh, connection of those characters uh, that move forward into the 1860s. So that's what I'm working on now. But your question was, what else would I write? Mm -hmm. And I would have to really take a big left turn and I would work on poetry. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised. Not what I was expecting. Okay. Yeah. Because I just love language. I love what language can do. I like to play with language. So poetry takes concepts, emotions, and bends and smooths and, and manipulates the language in so many ways, and not just word choice, in sound and uh, in beats and syllables to replicate something that we can hardly define ourselves, like emotions, like love or, or despair. And so I like playing with words. To me, it's like a big giant word game. And uh, I would play around with, I have uh, poetry, not enough to make a chapbook out of yet, but I'll get there. Who are your favorite poets? Well, my study was on John Milton, Paradise Lost and Paradise Regained. So that whole language thing I got from him. 
who really, when you read his sentences, they sound like a giant organ in a church. Like he has this, this incredible way to manipulate language. So I'm really stuck on 17th century poetry hmm. in a lot of ways. But American poetry, uh, early, you know, not early American, but uh, modern, what they consider modern American, like Anne Sexton. Okay. I love Anne Sexton's poetry. Um, and that whole Northeastern group who were writing at the time, I think that they were very experimental and they did something completely different than the uh, 17th century poets that I'm talking about. Very American, very modern, and but still very emotional. So those are my favorites. Oh my gosh, I did not expect you to say poetry. Absolutely. <laughs> I didn't expect to say it either, but I was talking so much about language with you today that it just kind of popped out. So Ooh. I guess that's where I'm going. Be careful what happens there. I know. Now, the, the book that you're working on right now, um, since this was your debut. Yes. Do you feel like um, the next one is going easier? Things are coming faster? Is it going to take you the five years of research or do we have... Well, Everything bookmarked already. My research, the big research project is done. It's all organized. It's ready to go. As I said, though, as you're writing, you continue to research. Right. It's not easier. No. I thought it was going to be. Really? I thought, oh, good. I'll just keep going. But it's not like that. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not finding it to be like that. Because um, the character that I leave my Hannah Oaks with at the end of the novel is a setup for the next story, which revolves around the John D. Johnson household. It turns out that his story is enormous. I had no idea that it was like jumping into a rabbit hole because uh, I really didn't see that coming, that his story, his family story is is gigantic. Wow. So I had to, I have to incorporate a lot more than I, I thought I was staying on the seashore, but I'm not. He, <laughs> his family had uh, plantations in Louisiana, several plantations. His family married into other families with those plantations. It led me into the study of uh, the, in, the exporting of, uh, of their products, uh, the use of New York Harbor, to do that, where so many Southern products, believe it or not, came up here to get shipped out to Europe. Uh, it just goes on and on and on, and I don't want to keep you with it, but it's huge. Well, that's okay. So uh, it's another whole world that I have to learn to incorporate, as I was describing before. So it's not just a continuation of this world. Okay. It taps into uh, the thinking that led to our uh, civil war, so all those politics now I have to become aware of more than what we learned in fourth grade. <laughs> so it's a big journey, but it'll be great. It'll be very uh, informative. And I pride myself on the fact that what historical fiction readers are very loyal. They're, they could choose anything to read, but what they're reading is something that they want to learn from. So it's the obligation of the historical fiction writer to present facts that are accurate because the person who's reading you is depending on you to deliver accurate facts. So that takes time. But it's, for me, as a retired teacher, it's a very fulfilling thing for me to do because I feel like I'm still teaching. 
Well, you are most certainly still teaching. Um, when I read Shipwreck of Hopes, there was so much that I had no idea, and I know that I'm good in good hands, so if I'm, <laughs> you know, the proverbial cocktail party and I drop in some information that I learned, I know that I'm speaking the truth and not, you know, people you. say, are you kidding? That's not what no, I'm Thank always. you, Stephanie, yes. <laughs> Keep dropping those pearls of wisdom. I am. Well, well which, which brings me to marketing the book, because I'm all about getting, getting authors out there and read. How is marketing historical fiction different than other genres? Um, I don't, I can't speak to other genres because I've only right. marketed historical true. fiction. And I just, I have to go back to the fact that historical fiction readers are very loyal. Uh, they're they're very interested in their pursuit of knowledge. So I think personally that there it's a smaller um, pie slice of the uh, fiction world, but they're very loyal. So you have to treat them that way. You have to treat your book like a treasure that it is, and market it correctly. Because if people um, look at Shipwreck of Hopes, a title and the, and the book cover, and they think they're going to get, you know, a bodice ripping, you know, a, a story. <laughs> no, of, no, no. You're not getting that. So you have to make sure that you market it to the right people or else that people will buy it and then be disappointed. I am so glad you said that because that's something I speak about with book marketing all the time is that your title your cover, they all need to be authentic to what your reader expects, or they're going to be horribly disappointed, which will, you know, subsequently lead to poor reviews because it wasn't what they thought they were getting. Exactly, right. So the text that you uh, put onto your um, Facebook account or your Instagram account or the back of the book cover mm -hmm. has to really say what it is that the book is going to deliver. Terrific. Now, where can our listeners find you, your book, and um, what formats is this book available in? Oh, thank you. So, uh, of course, it's on Amazon, it's Kindle, uh, it's Barnes and Noble, and it's also Nook. So, you've got ebooks as well as print books. But I'm very excited right now because it's coming out in Audible. Oh. Um, yeah, at the end of May, it will be out. So, it'll be available as Audible on iTunes and Amazon. Uh, I hope that that's, I know a lot of people listen instead of read print books, so I think it'll reach a much wider audience. But if you want, I would love to hear from you guys if you want to contact me on Instagram, Angela Reich Official. I have a webpage, AngelaReich.com. Um, I would love to have any comments or any interesting ideas that you might have to hear. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm also on YouTube. I have Angela Reich Author. I have a YouTube channel. Uh, of some other talks that I've done, so. Fantastic, do you do talks in book clubs and things like that that people can invite you? Oh, I've done book clubs. I love doing book clubs, yes. Yeah. So please invite to book clubs. And here's the reason, I do a lot of talks in libraries. I have a PowerPoint presentation because historical societies, libraries, people are interested in that local Long Island history. And I have a lot of information that didn't make it into the book mm -hmm. that people just like to hear about. So. Those are really fun to do. I get interesting questions and people show a lot of uh, fascination with what went on on this shore right in our very backyard that they didn't know about. But book groups are a different story and I love them because when you do a book group, that audience has already read the book. Right. So the type of questions you get 
is a different type of question than when you get when you do presentations at historical societies and libraries. Absolutely. And so I get real life feedback about, you know, I could hear if they're asking questions about a character or a place or an event that it helps me to understand whether or not I presented it the way I thought I was presenting it. So yeah, I love I love book groups. I'm glad you said that because I typically when I interview authors, um, even though I'll read the whole book, I never discuss anything past page 30 in public. <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. You well, know, thank you. That's really important. We're here to get people to read the book. And, you know, right now, as, as you and I are sitting here chatting, we're all kind of locked in our houses. It's a great time to be reading a book. Absolutely. And, and perhaps even starting to write. So I love your, your tips on getting started, especially if somebody was thinking about getting started in historical fiction, or as happened to you, if historical fiction just kind of chooses you. That's right. So final so tips for our listeners to, you know, what, what should they do first, shall we say? Jump in, jump into the time period. Just jump in and, you know, follow your nose a little bit. Find what is written about and find authentic original sources wherever you can and your follow your own line of interest because that's going to take you to the most authentic place for you and then that will resonate with authenticity for your characters so important i think that i don't know if i realized how important it is to actually live in that time period yourself like you said embrace it Embrace it and read what was written in the time period so you absorb the language and the, and the vibe. Well, I'm all for getting people reading more, especially since we're locked in the house at the moment. Right. <laughs> and we have this amazing source of information on the internet. There are so many fabulous uh, things, uh, information right at our fingertips. Yeah. And you make, now, can I go on? Oh, please. You make associations too. So in this... Um, this whole Southern thing I have to get, I had to get into for the next novel. Um, I went to historical societies in Louisiana oh. to see what they had available. And they're more than happy to share information with you. So you can look up historical societies wherever it is that you have, are researching, whether it's you know, across the country or here. And there, they, you pose your research questions to them and you have a dialogue with the docents down there or wherever, and they are happy to share links of information for you. So th there's just so much at our fingertips. Just be creative on how to find it. And that, that makes more of the adventure of writing the book too, that you're actually visiting, whether physically or uh, via phone or the internet, different places in order to do your research. Yes, that's right. So I'm fortunate because I'm researching events that happened here. So I can go to these historical societies. I could go to Suffolk County uh, Historical and all these different places. I've gone to, uh, to the city and read notes. Uh, I've gone to Harvard University and read the Margaret Fuller papers because it's local to me. But if you're researching something that is not local to you, you do have access to those very same people by, by emailing them. And they're interested in their topic and they love to share it. 
I, I'm so glad you said that. You know, so many times people think I don't want to bother them with my questions. But I would think a historical society is thrilled you're writing about them. Exactly. That's what they're there for. And they're loving that somebody else is interested and is going to take their material and proffer it forward. Oh, I, I, you know, you've given our listeners the green light in so many ways. And that's one, because I know people don't like to bother other people. Yeah, it's not a bother. I mean, if it's whatever it is that you love, think of if you're a, a baker or a, if you are a crocheter and somebody asks you about that, don't you just love sharing that information? So it's the same way. It's the same thing. They're not bothered. They love it. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. And, and anything else? I, I, I don't want to let you go. You're a treasure trove <laughs> of information here. <laughs> well, um, I, there is, can I share one story? Please. A story that's, Please. that's so cool. I was in probably the midst of writing Shipwreck of Hopes. And I had this character, Smith Oaks, who is nefarious. And he was nefarious, I could tell by the newspaper articles that were out there about him. Uh, I just mentioned I had gone to Harvard, I read the Fuller family papers, and in those boxes were a lot of her writing, a lot of her letters, um, a lot of things that were written after the shipwreck. Um, there was a diary that was found on the beach that survived the shipwreck that was in that box that I actually held in my hand. So I can't tell you what that does to a researcher when you, you actually can hold something in your hand that was written by your subject. The librarians up there talk about that they were fantastic. I mean, they couldn't have been nicer. You know, you have to make a research appointment. They had everything ready for me when I went up there. I went back home and two weeks later, I got an email from the librarian saying, we have just made an acquisition of papers that we think would be interesting to you in your research project. As it turns out, uh, Margaret Fuller's very dear friend was Henry David Thoreau. After the wreck, he came down and did an investigation on Fire Island Beach for five days. Anybody who reads any Margaret Fuller uh, biographies, his report is, can, is included in the biography. I mean, it's only Thoreau after all, right? So he's very important, he's very accurate, he's a, and he makes a report of the people, the survivors, and those local residents who were around during the wreck. Well, what Harvard acquired were Thoreau's notes that he wrote while he was on the beach interviewing people. So you all know, we all know, if you write a report, you have 30 pages of notes, but your report is five pages long, how much of it gets left behind in your notes? They had the actual notes. So I was able to read the interviews that he made of all those people who are now my characters, who were actual authentic people, and it gave me such insight into who they were and what their motives were. And it absolutely, when he interviewed Smith Oaks, it absolutely proved to me what his role was in the aftermath of the wreck. Really? Yes, and this just, you know, it came to me because I had gone to Harvard, because I had gone to this historical society, somebody came back to me and said, oh, by the way, here's something you might be interested in. So just advice to other researchers, if you can go, go. 
showing up is 90% of the game. <laughs> showing up and having a conversation with someone because they'll come back to you with stuff that will be like a big surprise. Wow. It was a fabulous, fabulous find. It, it really, and it was like partway through the writing that this happened. So don't stop researching, keep looking. And if you're close enough or can make a trip to the authentic place, go. Because things will happen. I can't thank you enough. That's an amazing story. And, and you know, Woody Allen, is he the one that said 90% of, of life is just showing up? Yes, and he's, he's absolutely correct. You know, yeah. you showed so, up and- You show up and you use the internet and you use all available resources and talk it up. Talk it up. You can't believe how many people might have something to say about your topic. Wow. Yeah. Well, Angela, you have been a pleasure and a delight. And I have no doubt that there are going to be lots of pens to paper <laughs> as they hear this because you've given the green light to, to, to so many things, to the freedom to try and the freedom to research and to enjoy the process. And what an adventure you have been on. With yes, this. it has been. And I thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. Oh, really gosh, my pleasure. It. And, and so for all fun. of us, please find Shipwreck of Hopes, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, digital print, and by the time uh, this has gone around the block a few times, audiobook as well. That's right, yes. And, and you can join me at her website in nagging her to get that next book out. <laughs> <laughs> and when that comes out, we'll have you back on the hot seat again to tell us all about the adventures with that book. I can't wait. Thank you so much. Oh, you thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on Once and Future Authors. Happy writing to all of you. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us for Once and Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing!